You're listening to the Living Word Church Podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordli.org. Today's message comes from our lead pastor, Doug Jansen. Everybody say the stone. That's what we're going to talk about here today, kind of be our theme. In fact, under your seats, and uh, if you're in a blue seat, it may or may not be there. It may have been handed to you, but you should have a stone. So just reach down. There's a, a stone under every single seat. I want you to grab that, and I want you to just hang on to it throughout the message here today. If you're sitting over a white tile, it kind of blends in, and it's hard to see, but I promise you that it is there. I, here's what I would encourage you. Uh, first off, don't throw it at anybody, all right? Especially not me, if you don't like the message at any point. Now, as we go through the message, you're going to see today why I'm giving you that stone. But that's our theme for today. We're going to really talk about two stones today. Weeks ago, I opened the mail up, and there was an envelope. I opened it up, and there was a picture of a school bus and one of our cars passing that school bus. Who here has gotten one of those in the mail? Okay, a bunch of us, yeah. So I was hoping that this ticket would be like a red light ticket, like around 100 bucks. No, $275 ticket if you pass a bus. So they all have uh, cameras on the side of the bus now. You can actually see them as you're passing. They take pictures and record. Now, back in the day, it was, in my understanding, you had to wait until the stop thing was out, and then you couldn't go anymore. Apparently, that's not true at all. I've literally had times where a bus driver would stop and then wave me on until that stop arm comes out. Nope. As soon as the yellow lights go on, you got to stop. There's not even an Easter sermon here today. I just wanted to tell you that. So, okay, no. So, be very careful. Now, obviously, I care about kids and kids' safety. You know, we've instructed our, you know, everybody in our home knows to be careful. It's just like, it was so kind of out of the blue that now I'm really stressed about it because I'm driving around like looking for any other place cameras are. Like I passed a street sweeper the other day and slowed down. It was looking like, I'm going to start putting my mailboxes and I don't even know. But I'll tell you, as I think about the image of a bus, like before that, I always kind of had like the warm fuzzies about the bus, right? When, when I was younger, you'd hang out with your friends on the bus and you'd do stupid things and have fun and laugh and on the, way, on, the, on the way home from school or whatever. I think about my son, the first day any of my kids got on the bus. Like that's a special, kind of scary, but special day. We followed the bus the whole way, of course, you know? I think about even now you pull up at a red light and there's a bus in front of you and all the kids come to the back of the bus and they're waving at you, making stupid faces, trying to get you to honk your horn, right? So there's this just, like cool association with the bus. I am freaked out now, right? Like, I'm anxious about it. My heart's all hard toward the bus, right? And I want you to think about that for a minute. I want you to think about the fact that for some of us, there have been different situations in our life, different experiences where our hearts have been hardened to something we once felt good about. You know, maybe it was a person, maybe it was a situation, maybe it was a house you once lived in or an area or a church you went to. Or, but I think this can so easily creep into our relationship with God, too. For some of us, there was a time we felt really close to Jesus. Our hearts were excited about God. We felt excited about going to church, reading the Bible, prayer. And I think what happens is over time, sometimes a, hard, a hardness of our heart can develop a little bit because of some of the painful things we go through. I think maybe even some doubts can begin to creep into our mind and kind of build a wall of doubt in our mind. And today I want to talk about those struggles that we have. I wanna talk about our hearts and our minds. I wanna talk about sometimes the struggles that we have and the, and the way that things can sometimes just make both having a soft heart toward God, toward church, toward Jesus, toward Easter, 
Like maybe you're here today because somebody forced you. Maybe you're here today because somebody promised you lunch. Maybe you're here today because you're a kid and you have no say, or you're a husband and you have no say, or you're a wife and you have no say, or you know, maybe you're watching online because your parents put it up on the TV, you got nothing else to do right now. Like I don't know why you're here or under what circumstances you're here, but I pray today, whether you chose to be here and you couldn't wait to be here and you were worshiping Jesus through that whole first set, or you're kind of just like wishing you were still home, that something will happen in our hearts and minds today. That's some of the hardness that we sometimes feel began to break up a little bit, or maybe be completely obliterated. The, the, the wall of doubt in our mind will be broken down today, or at least some cracks where the, the light can kind of shine through. And so I don't know where you are today, but I pray that in our time together this morning, what we talk about as we look at two stones today, our hearts and minds will be challenged. So, so everybody say heart. So this is where our hearts become hard because maybe some pain in our life. We've lost somebody, we're sick, uh, we've had job issues, financial issues, and, and over the period of that time, our hearts just become hard toward God. There's a, this layer of stone that develops over the, 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 the front of our heart, the lining of our heart, over the, the, the chamber of our heart that used to be soft to him, right? Maybe for some of us it's a disappointment. We were disappointed in something. We prayed, we believed, and we were disappointed with the outcome. Maybe some of us actually didn't have a good association with Jesus or church or God growing up. Maybe you went to a church that made God look very callous, very cold, very distant. And I don't know what image you have of him. Like we saw last week, sometimes we get this distortion in our hearts. I just pray that today, that as we talk about these two stones, some of that will be broken down. Everybody say Mind. See, this is where we struggle, especially on Easter. Some of us are going, come on. Someone dead in a grave rising back from the dead. I'm sorry, my mind just can't go there. We've got lots of nurses and doctors in our church, and maybe it's that scientific mind, right? Like someone who's dead stays dead. And today I pray that as I talk to our hearts and minds, something amazing happens. And, and you know, this isn't just for people who don't follow Jesus, or who don't come to church all that much. The hardness of the heart can happen just as easily to the Christian. The hardness of the heart can, can happen just as easily to you and I as we go through difficult things. The doubts in our minds can begin to form. And I want to say that maybe you feel really far from God right now because of it, but maybe you don't. Maybe you're kind of still in a relationship with him. You pray every day. You even read your Bible most days. You come to church every Sunday. But, but if you're honest, Jesus is kind of over here, and you've just sort of like done the sidestep a little bit. You know what I mean? In your relationship with him. Or maybe today you are like, no, man, Jesus is alive. I'm so excited to be here. I'm worshiping my risen Savior today. Not a doubt in my mind and my heart is good. Then I pray for you, A, we'd celebrate that because that's a gift of God in your life, but also that you would learn to know how to be able to answer some others who may struggle with doubts. Maybe, they, maybe their hearts are hard. Maybe their, their minds have that wall built up, and maybe he can use you to make an impact on them. So, let me catch you up to where we're going today. You know, in the beginning of Star Wars, all those movies you watch, there's the, scroll, the scrolling text, right? It tells a little bit of the backstory. It tells what's happening, right, in the background. And so as that's happening, I think we sit there, we're listening to the great music. How many of you guys have no idea what is being said? Like, it's just like going and you're like, I don't know what that says or what that means. Something about a Jedi and a Vader or something like, right? And I think we get a little confused. So let me try to make some clear background context for you. So we gathered here Friday night. By the way, did we have a good Friday service or did we have a good Friday service? 
Man, God moved here on Friday. And not only here, but up the street, our youth were meeting, and God moved there as well. Incredible stuff. But on Good Friday, we saw in both places what happened to Jesus. We saw that Jesus was falsely accused. We saw that he was beaten. We saw that he was placed on the cross, and he gave his life for us. And we also saw, or let me, let me at least tell you today, that they took a spear, and they thrust it into the side of Jesus. And this is what they would do to make sure he was really dead. Because some of us here today might be saying, well, maybe he was like half dead. They put him in the tomb, you know, and he somehow figured out a way to get himself up and he pushed the the rock away. Well, we're going to look at, at that idea here today among some others. But as Jesus had given his life, a man named Joseph came and he asked that Jesus be given to him so he could bury his body. It says in Matthew 27, 59, Joseph took the body wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone. Do you see what it says? He rolled, Joseph rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. So here's our first stone. Rolled in front of the tomb of Jesus. Okay, here's what I want to tell you. Joseph did not roll this stone by himself, okay? It says he rolled the stone, but I think it's like often in life, I don't want you to think, wow, all right, this guy must have done this by himself. No, Uh, historians say that the stone probably weighed around 4,000 pounds, okay? So if you're thinking Jesus just like woke up half dead and pushed that thing away, that's not what happened, okay? And Joseph couldn't have even rolled it in front of the tomb by himself. In fact, I think it's like, you know when guys talk about home improvement projects and they're like, oh yeah, look what I did, look what I did. Like meanwhile, either you did that with a lot of people's help or maybe there's a few of us that can really do that stuff. But, but most of us can do that with a lot of help or we paid somebody. And Joseph was a rich man. There's a good chance he just paid somebody to do it. So if you walk through my house, I would take you over to our den, the, the wall that used to be between our den and kitchen. And I'd say, I took this wall down and I put this beam up, all right? Now the reality is, is I helped. But there was a huge beam made of metal and wood brought to our home by a crane. It was dropped in our driveway. I went over to try to pick one side of it up and I couldn't walk straight for a month, right? I got five friends. We couldn't even budge the thing more than a foot off the ground. I have to bring this thing into my house and put it up over our heads to now uh, hold the ceiling up. And so I called a bunch of my buddies. Some of you sitting here are, are, were a part of that. And I have a video here of, of that day. We're gonna go ahead and roll that. Here's my kitchen in Reno. Here's my bald head, right? And you can see my dad behind me and all my buddies around me. We are trying to manhandle this huge, crazy, heavy beam and get it up into place, which thank God by his grace, we eventually did and were able to get it all attached and everything. But that's the picture you need here of Joseph rolling the tomb shut, right? It was not just him. There's no way it could have been. Now, the reason that that's so important is because, as I want to talk to your your minds for a second, you have to picture that back in the day, the stone would have sat on a sloped channel, okay? So here's the stone, right? Here's the grave, okay? It was sloped so that when it was rolled closed, it was easy to close, but almost impossible to open back up. So if Jesus woke up half dead, there's no way he's rolling that thing himself. In fact, there's no way the disciples coming back are even rolling that thing if they have some plot to pretend he rose back from the dead and he really hadn't. Let's keep going. Verse 61, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. So it's not just Joseph that sees the tomb closed up. Mary and Mary are also there. And then in verse 62, read this with me. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he, who's he? Jesus, while Jesus was still alive, that deceiver, they're calling him a deceiver, 
Jesus said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come steal the body and tell the people he has been raised from the dead. The last deception will be worse than the first. So everybody look back at me. The followers, or the, the leaders are worried about the followers of Jesus. The leaders, the Jewish leaders who put Jesus to death go to the Roman, uh, the, the Roman leader Pilate and say, hey, you, you got to help us secure this thing because the disciples, are, they're up to something, right? Then it says this in verse 65. Take a guard. Everybody say guard. That will be important in just a minute. Pilate answered, go make the tomb as secure as you know how. Did you hear that? Not go like, you know, just make sure everything looks sort of right. Okay. No, no. As secure as you know how. Do whatever you can because we know we don't want the disciples to be able to say Jesus is back from the dead if he's really not. And then they say secure it by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. So the stone was sealed and they took a guard. Let me ask you something. If... 12 or 11 guys, right, because Judas has perished at this point. If 11 guys want to go overwhelm one guard, do you think they could? Probably. I want to tell you, it wasn't just one guard. We know this because later, some of the guards, after Jesus comes back from the dead, spoiler alert, he rose back from the dead, um, they go and they tell the Roman leaders what happened, and it says some of the guards went, but some of them did not. So it wasn't just one guard. It wasn't even just two guards. It was many guards. In fact, some theologians believe it was as many as 50 guards, and it was a mix between Roman soldiers and the temple guard, who were the Jewish soldiers that worked at the temple. So let me talk to your mind for a minute. You ready? Jesus is really dead. He's been placed in a tomb where a stone was rolled down a sloped channel into place and sealed and now guarded by possibly as many as 50 men. Let me talk to your heart for a minute. Why was he even there in the first place? Why was Jesus even in that tomb? Let's back it up. Why was he even on the cross? Let's back it up again. Why did he even come? Because he loves you and I so much. And he was killed to prove that, and he was buried to prove that, and he came to prove that. Let's go on. Matthew 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. So we've got two Marys. Everybody say Mary squared. All right, that's what we're going to call Mary. Mary squared going forward here, right? Verse 2. Before they get there, there was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. This is stone number one. The stone that was rolled away. Jesus, lying dead in a tomb, rises from the dead. There's a several thousand pound stone rolled down this slope, sealed, and the angel moves it, and then I love this move, sits on it. Like, I conquered this. I did this. You ever see a kid, like, they've been trying to move, like, this little, like, cabinet or something all day, and they finally, like, get it across the room with all their strength they can muster, and then they sit down on it. Look what I have done, right? I love that the angel sits down on that stone. Honestly, I think he flicked it open like you and I flick a crumb off of a table, but the tomb is open, and Jesus is gone. Let me talk to your mind for a second. If this is true, and we'll keep talking about this. And by the way, if you're not convinced this is true here, I want to let you know I'm more than happy to meet up for coffee. I spent years of my life wondering if that event happened and could honestly be taken seriously. We did a 10-part series called Evidence. We'd love to point you to that. It's on our app. It's on our website. But if you're here today going, I don't know, man, that guy talked for a half hour. I'm just not convinced Jesus is alive and the Savior of the world. Well, we did this for 10 weeks, and I'd love to meet with you and talk with you too and share my story and how God worked and showed himself in my life. But, but if this really happened, then maybe, just maybe, is Jesus more 
than just a man, a great prophet, or even a miracle worker? Could it be that he's the son of God and your savior? Verse three, his appearance, we're talking about the angel here, his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards, everybody say guards. Everybody say guards, plural. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. So let me talk to your mind for a minute. See that? Guards, plural. There it is. It was not one guard. It was not two guards. It was many guards who saw this happen. And this is important because not only could many guards guard the tomb in a, in a way that's more effective than just one or two, but this means that it wasn't just one guard who fell asleep on his watch and had some kind of weird dream that the earth shook and Jesus was gone. No, this really happened. This is not just one guard having a hallucination. More than one person saw what happened here. Many people saw what happened here. Oh, and by the way, another reason we know the disciples didn't steal the body of Jesus is because they weren't even expecting anyone to believe he came back. They had run. They were afraid. They were defeated. They were hiding for their own lives. They weren't out trying to rally some amazing scandal here where they could open this tomb which had already been sealed and guarded and get the body of Jesus out and go and do their thing. They all thought it was over. Mary Squared only came back to the tomb to visit, as you and I would, a memorial or a gravesite of someone that we loved that had passed. They didn't, no one thought he was coming back. No one thought he was coming back. When Jesus walked out, there wasn't like balloons and a ribbon, happy resurrection day, right? Mary and, and everybody out there, happy resurrection to you. Like that was not a thought in their mind. And so this tomb has been opened. Jesus has raised from the dead. And it says in verse 5, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said, now you ready for this? Come and see the place where he lay. Can we pause there for a second? Come and see. Some of you need to just hear that one phrase today. That's your phrase for the day. Come and see. I want you to know Jesus is not afraid for you to come and see and really check things out. Do you think Mary Squared believed Jesus was still in that grave or not? They had to go see for themselves, right? They had to go come and see. If you're here today saying, I'm not a church person, man. I have doubts. Welcome to the party. Come and see. Come and see. Come and look. Come and explore. Come find. Jesus isn't afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your doubts. He's not intimidated by the fact you may have been disappointed by something. He says, come and see. Come and see for yourself. You come and look. If you leave here today, you're like, I still don't know if Jesus is alive. Just keep coming and seeing. That's okay. Come and see. Explore. God's big enough to show you he's there if he's there. Verse 8. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Right? Because his disciples weren't there expecting Jesus to be alive. And they weren't there hiding behind a bush, plotting some kind of move to get Jesus out of this tomb and then start some kind of you know, uprising where they say he's alive when he's really not. They had to go find him. Where's Peter and John? Where's James? Go find him. Love verse 9. Suddenly, Jesus met them, meets the two ladies. Greetings, he said. I don't know about you, that would have freaked me out. <laughs> Greetings. I, I think if you want to scare somebody, don't go for like a big jump out moment. Don't go for like blowing a trumpet in somebody's face. Here's parents in the room. Here's what I want you to do this week, right? Kids are on spring break. Can you please film this? Can you please just like hide down a hallway and then allow your kids to come by and don't jump or scream or anything. Just go, Greetings, and see what happens, all right? And send it my way. Here's this moment that must have been so surreal for them, but look at what happens. I love instantly what happens. Can you visualize this with me? They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. They fall on their feet. Like you ever seen someone 
important and, and someone just falls on their feet, right, and, and grab their legs. This is really important. Goes on, do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to, uh, to go to Galilee. They will see me here. Let me talk to your minds for a second. It's so important they touched Jesus' feet because it shows us this wasn't a hallucination or a dream or a vision. This was physical Jesus back from the dead. And other followers of Jesus would go ahead and touch the nail holes in his hands, the hole in his side from the spear, the holes in his feet. He would cook breakfast, breakfast, breakfast for them, if I could say that word. And let me talk to your mind just for a second. Let me tell you who the disciples became after Jesus rose from the dead. They went from guys who were hiding from their lives, lives, afraid, fearful, scared to death, worried the same thing that happened to Jesus would happen to them, to brave and fearless. They walked out and began to talk about this Jesus who was back from the dead, and they were beaten for it, and they were imprisoned for it, and most of them were killed for it. And as we handled in the evidence series, you don't, lie, you don't die for what you know is a lie. So in other words, if the followers of Jesus stole his body and then at some point somebody arrested them and said, we're going to kill you if you keep saying Jesus is alive, that's right there where they would have said, go over here, there's a sycamore tree, go under it and make a left. And that's where Jesus' body is, right? No one's dying for what they know is a lie. And let me tell you this too, you don't go from coward to fiercely brave if your Savior is still lying behind a stone in the grave. But these fathers of Jesus, these men and women became fearless and brave. And the whole thing was hinged on a resurrected Savior. Man, what a thing to hinge an entire new movement on if it didn't really happen. What a thing to give your life if it didn't happen. What a thing to be beaten and imprisoned if it didn't happen. Oh, it happened. Let me talk to your heart for a second. Do you see the love of God for you? Do you see his heart to reach you? Do you see what he endured, what he went through? Do you see his desire to be near you and have a personal relationship with you? As we saw Friday night, he didn't just die for the sins of the world. He died for your personal sin in your place. He died for my personal sin in my place. Give us Barabbas. Jesus and Barabbas switch places like we saw Friday right? Barabbas was guilty of insurrection. Jesus was accused of insurrection. Barabbas was guilty of insurrection. Jesus was not guilty, and yet the innocent and the guilty swap places. That's your story. That's mine. We are Barabbas, right? Do you see the love of Jesus for you? Here's what I hope you're seeing about stone one today. The stone was rolled away, and Jesus is alive. Amen? And that's our hope. Listen to me. That's our hope. Is that our hope for salvation? Oh, yeah. But can I tell you what else it's your hope for? Everything. Everything. You're going to have a nice meal today. Do you know that meal doesn't happen unless Jesus rises back from the dead? That's because of his grace. Are you going to have a great relationship with somebody? That's because of the grace of God given to us through what Jesus did in the cross and his resurrection. Are you going to have a, a career where you make an impact and you make a difference? That's all his grace. Every good thing you and I have is because a Savior walked out of that grave. Along with the stone being rolled away today, I pray that some of the hardness of our heart is rolling away. At the very least, I pray there's some cracks through some of that stony heart. I pray that some of the doubts in the wall that our minds have built up because of pain or hardship or disappointment has been obliterated or at the very least has some cracks in it. So is your heart hard today or is your mind doubtful because you've walked through some pain? Please remember what we saw Friday. Jesus knows that pain. 
He can relate to our pain. We can't relate to his. You have never been through the amount of pain Jesus has been through. Do you have disappointment? Jesus understood disappointment. He lost people he loved. There were people who betrayed him. There were people who should have acted one way and they acted another and they tore his heart apart, so to speak, in that they betrayed him and they ran and they, they couldn't even, the disciples couldn't even stay awake, right, the night of his arrest. They couldn't even stay awake and just keep praying. And Jesus understands what it's like to be betrayed, mistreated, abused. He speaks to the misunderstanding of who he is. If you grew up in an environment or walked through a situation where it made you feel like God is cold and distant and angry, then please see your Savior running to you, coming to you, arms open wide, love in his eyes, wanting a relationship with you. The stone is rolled away. Jesus is alive. That's stone number one. I want to talk to you about stone number two for a few minutes, and this is really personal. And I think I might be all cried out at this point, so I, I might make it through this service. I'm careful how often I tell my story um, because I know that there are people who didn't get my outcome. And I care deeply about that. That means a lot to me that, that people would know, I guess I'm not cried all, all cried out, that people would know that their loss, um, I feel that. And I get it. And I, I've had loss too. And I, I miss my mom. Uh, I wish my wife were healthy. Just 15 years of praying for her to be healthy and not debilitated by sickness. Uh, my wife and I have had several miscarriages. Like I get loss. And I just want to know before I talk about what I'm going to talk about that my heart hurts with you guys if you didn't get the outcome that I got. But I want to talk to you about a second stone today. The first stone is the great stone of Jesus rolled away for you and me. It's the hope of the whole world. And I just pray that, that, that my little stone that I talk about right now might just point to that greater stone. So December 12, 2020, I'm taken to the hospital and I'm having difficulty breathing from COVID and I'm treated for a while and things get worse and there are people that are in this room right now that cared for me. I know Sam's here, I saw him, and I saw some others at different services, and, and there were nurses and doctors that were just incredible. There was um, one nurse that, uh, or several nurses from our church that would bring me stuff, you know, they would text with me, you need something, and so there was one nurse that would bring me Panera, and I was trying to eat Panera. They're like, Doug, we gotta fatten you up. I was getting, clearly it worked. I was, I was getting um, just really weak, and, and it was very difficult for me to eat, and so, uh, she would bring me the soup and then stand on the outside of the room and literally just look at me and just, just tell me, like, like, keep eating, keep eating. And then um, one of the nurses from our church uni brought me Chick-fil-A one day, and I took one bite, and I just couldn't physically eat it anymore. And that's when they knew things were serious. Doug was turning down Chick-fil-A. As time went on, um, my wife got the news I was doing poorly, and so I ended up being put on a vent, and my oxygen on the vent was 60 8%, and I was just tanking quickly. So on December 24th, the day I put, was put on the vent, my lung popped. They put me on something called ECMO life support, which no COVID patient had ever survived. I had internal bleeds, and darn it, I thought I was good. Went through a whole bunch, and um, a nurse practitioner, a friend of ours, who's, I was her kid's youth pastor when they were younger, found out that I was there, and she began to come and visit me, and on December 24th, she left, and she went home and cried with her family because she said I wasn't going to make it through the night, and before she left, she picked up this stone from the parking lot, and she picked it up to remember the day 
that Doug Jansen died. Thank God, as people prayed, I, I did begin to improve, and I was able to come off ECMO and eventually the vent. And again, I just say with respect to anyone who didn't get my outcome that I understand that it's so hard when prayers aren't answered. And I understand what it's like when we go through the disappointment and pain. But I came out of, of that situation on the vent, and my battle wasn't over. I had 63 days in the hospital and rehab. I had two collapsed lungs and a pneumothorax and pleural effusion and fluid in my chest and scarred lungs. I had four chest tubes. I had air in my chest. I was having something called pulmonary hypertension, and those are all really serious things. But along with them, I had double pneumonia, which should have killed me, and three massive internal bleeds, which could have killed me, and acute respiratory distress syndrome, which could have killed me, and something called the cytokine storm, where my inflammatory markers went crazy, and my body began to attack itself, which should have killed me. I had an antibiotic-resistant MRSA infection, which could have killed me, a secondary bacterial pneumonia, which could have killed me, something called transmonitis, which means your liver numbers go off the charts and could have killed me, and multiple blood clots, which could have killed me, and as I said before, the vent and ECMO, which could have killed me. Cotton's doctors told us that I would die, and my friend Kathy Ruse back there, she told me a story about a doctor friend she has at Stony Brook who every time she sees him tells him that guy never should have walked out of here. Every time my wife and I go to a doctor's appointment, she shares my story with the doctor. And one time a doctor came over and said, I want to shake your hand because you're the luckiest man alive. And then he had a nurse come over and shake my hand. This is the luckiest man alive. Now, I agree that that's something to be amazed about, but I don't like the word lucky because A, I don't think the luckiest man alive would have gone through that in the first place. <laughs> but secondly, because it wasn't luck, it was God's grace and power. And so after I came out of the hospital, my wife and I had breakfast with the nurse practitioner and her husband, and she gave us the stone. And I, I pray that if you're here today saying that reds are, you know, dead people don't come back to life, well, I wasn't dead, but I was right about there. And I pray that my little stone will point to the greater, amazing, significant stone of Jesus. And I think about the stones, and I think about how both were symbols of death that turned into symbols of life. Stone is rolled away. Jesus is alive. If you're a follower of Jesus today, how has your heart been hardened? Is there something that happened that maybe has completely turned you away or just made you take a couple side steps in your relationship with Jesus? Would you bring that to Jesus today? I want to tell you this, that the same one who rolls the stone away is able to heal hearts, is able to soften hearts, and is able to break through walls that we make in our mind full of doubt. And if you're here today and you've lost somebody, man, I wish my mom would be at Easter dinner today. And if you're here today and you've lost somebody, please know that the same God that can roll the stone away can also carry you. He can give hope. And he can heal you and strengthen you from the losses that you've experienced in your life. Is your mind full of doubt today? I pray that what we've looked at, the evidence we've seen this morning as we've talked about the resurrection and some of the common objections that today that, that faith is it's filling your mind and filling your heart and breaking down hard, hard hearts. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I, 
I hope that today you might think about putting your trust in him, that you might think about leaving this place knowing your sins have been forgiven and you have an eternity with Jesus. But the stone that I've asked you to hold throughout the service today, I, I want you to keep. I ask that you maybe you put it in your pocket or you, you put it somewhere that you'll see it a lot or feel it a lot. I feel like having it in your pocket is good because you'll feel it. And go throughout this week. And I pray that that rock there, it reminds you of the stone that was rolled away. It reminds you of my little stone that might help you believe in the, the great stone that was rolled away. But I also pray that it will remind you that even when life is really hard and there are big ups and downs, that Jesus can be trusted. And that he's a healer of hearts, not just a healer of bodies. He's a healer of minds. He's one that gives gifts of faith that we would believe, even when we have pain and disappointment or don't see him for who he is. And he is patient with you. He says, come and see. Come and see. It's okay. You don't believe right now? Come and see. Just keep on coming. Keep on looking. Keep on exploring. There are answers. Come and see. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'd love for you to pray with me. If you are a follower of Jesus, I'd love for you to also pray with me and let's bring him our hearts and our minds and those places in us that need his hope today. But we can celebrate this morning. The stone was rolled away and Jesus is alive. Let's pray. So Lord God, here we are, just so needy. God, some of us strong in our faith today, thank you for that. That's a blessing. Some of us assured in our faith. Some of us, our hearts feel great and our minds are full of faith. Thank you for that. But God, for the person who is hurting, the person who has doubt, the person whose heart is hard, we ask for your help. And I know looking around the room that there are many who have lost loved ones and many whose hearts are probably really hurting today. And God, we just bring you our hearts. There are people who have been disappointed because they prayed for something and it hasn't happened. And I just pray that, Lord, you will soften our hard hearts. There are people who are wrestling financially. There are people who are struggling in their business. There are people who are, as teens, trying to, trying to figure out the course of their life, trying to fit in, trying to belong somewhere. And today, God, we just ask that you carry these delicate hearts and you bring great healing. God, for those of us who have doubts in our minds, we ask that, God, you would just show yourself to us in such a way that we would never doubt again. Something we couldn't even argue with, something that you do that's so clear to us, so real to us, so life-changing and impactful that everything's different going forward. Would you just bring Jesus your heart or your mind or both and ask him for his healing and his help and his grace? If you're not a follower of Jesus, I would love for you to pray now. You can say this with me if you'd like, Jesus. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for coming for me. Today I put my faith in you, Jesus. I ask you to save me and do in my life what I can't do for myself. Thank you for this gift of salvation. 